Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Well, we wanted playoff hockey. You got it. Big monkey paw, finger curling moment. One of the best regular season goaltending performances I've seen in a long time. Says something for the Red Wings that they are now privy to that because usually it's like, ah, backup goalie makes 35 saves, not, you know, Andre Vasilevsky first one off the ice in warm-ups and you're chuckling because all of a sudden the Red Wings are seeing starters again, but then he puts up a near 50-save shutout. You could see that coming from a mile away. Yeah, there were a lot of posts about that on social media throughout the day because not only was Detroit not getting uh, Tampa's backup like they usually do, Tampa's on a back-to-back, so it was very much a situation where they would have been in the realm of playing the backup against the Red Wings. And I forget who Tampa was playing uh, today, but it was another team in the playoff race, and they chose to play Vasilevsky against the Red Wings. And everybody's like, wow, what a great sign. Uh, The Red Wings are the team that good teams legitimately respect and possibly fear a little bit now. And like you said, Ryan, monkey paw curls. (laughs) You know what? It's it's unfortunate for the Red Wings, and, and we'll talk about the game that they played. But this is, this is what it's like. This is what it's like to be playing with the big boys. You want to play big boy hockey? That's you're going to have to face the best goalie on the planet. And you know what was funny? Actually, in the middle of all of this happening, the most likely goaltender that the Red Wings would have to face if they did end up doing the thing and making the playoffs scored a goal last night. Allmark <laughs> scored for Boston, and I was like, "There's, there's a, a, a kind of." Uh, like hockey gods chuckling and poking fun at Red Wings fans moment when they can't score on an elite tier goalie and the elite tier goalie that might be their problem in a couple months is actually scoring. (laughs) Hockey's fun. It's been a fun week. Anyhow, the Red Wings have played a couple games. We are getting ever closer to the trade deadline. The playoff picture is, uh, I don't want to say starting to become more clear, but you know, the teams in it are starting to become a little bit more clear and there's lots to talk about. So, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, the trade deadline, and lots more. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the podcast, we'll be reviewing the two games that the Detroit Red Wings have played, uh, one against the Rangers and one against the Lightning. Uh, we'll be talking about the storylines out of that game, Vili Husso, uh, Philip Zadina, Michael Rasmussen, Dylan Larkin, etc. We'll talk about the woes of the uh, Tampa Bay game, uh, Despite how great the Red Wings played, they uh, didn't walk away with any points there. Uh, Updates in terms of Red Wings injuries. Michael Rasmussen was declared out indefinitely today. Uh, We have Max Boltman on the show for a quick hit. Uh, I uh, I caught some of his time while he was in an Uber to get his pre-trade deadline thoughts. We will give our uh, perspective on the uh, approaching trade deadline, whether the Red Wings are poised to be buyers, sellers, neither or both. Uh, The current standings and then... uh, as of recording right now, we know Timo Meyer has been traded to the Devils. We don't know the return yet. So the NHL is on the clock. They have about 45 minutes to tell us who's been traded so we can cover it. So we'll see. And there have been some other trades uh, and news uh, across the world of the NHL. Uh, before all that, first, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, folks, I think, who are newer listening to the podcast. So first, welcome. Uh, and secondly, uh, I just want to, we're really bad at doing this, advertising ourselves. 
But if you are listening to the podcast, uh, either new or, or returning listener, and you want to support the show, uh, our Patreon is pretty much the heart and soul of everything that we do. This show doesn't you know, reach the heights that we somehow miraculously reach and, and uh, grow or, or you know, run pretty much all year uh, without the support of our patrons. So patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. Uh, there's a lot of benefits. You get access to the Winged Wheel Podcast Discord, which is an excellent community. You get access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes that we record right after these, where we um, answer all of the overtime questions, which is the segment at the end of the show uh, that didn't make it to the main show. We let loose. We have fun. Uh, the guys are allowed to swear a little bit more, and it's generally a good time. And then also, you're entered into all of our giveaways automatically. We're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season the vast majority of them going directly to our patrons. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. And for our winged wheel podcast night at the LCA uh, folks who are interested, uh, I believe tickets are currently sold out. We are working on potentially adding more. Uh, it's not guaranteed. You have, you just kept selling us out. You've already broken our, our sales record. So again, that is a partnered event with the Detroit Red Wings, where we host a live episode of the winged wheel podcast and go to a Red Wings game altogether. The tickets are discounted. You get a special Winged Wheel podcast discount. And most importantly, a portion of the proceeds go directly to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP is where you would get your tickets if we're able to add more. Uh, so stay tuned on that. And for those of you who have bought tickets, more details on the day's schedule are coming. Let's jump right into it. The Red Wings walking away from uh, last episode were really well poised to make a push and force Steve Eisman's hand uh, to come into the trade deadline as, hey, stand pat, don't sell our assets. We want to make a run of this. We said with New York and Tampa Bay, those were two tough teams. Those are playoff caliber teams who are adding. Those are playoff caliber teams who uh, were, you know, high up in the standings. And that's, the Red Wings had to walk away with some points. So let's start with the New York game where the Red Wings dominated. Not only did they dominate, they were dominating three zones, which for as good as the Red Wings have been this uh, lately and this season in general, has not been a common theme. Usually they're dominating at least uh, on their good games. I should specify before yeah. people bring up some box scores from earlier in the year. Right. They were dominating the defensive zone and the neutral zone, and they would not get much going offensively. But dropping four on the Rangers isn't a small feat, and they were doing it in a bunch of different ways. You know everything's clicking for them in the offensive zone. When Philip Zadina <laughs> has the snipe of the night. Yes. It was far side barring in off a turnover that I believe Larkin forced and Zadina finished on, and Andrew Kopp started clicking on all cylinders. Guess all he needed to do was play a former team, and that got him going. Um but yeah, circling back, it was, and, and this will be a theme with the Tampa game, surprisingly well-rounded for the Red Wings. They, and, they always seem to get it done one way or the other when they do win, but not like this. And when I say dominated, I don't mean they went out there and made New York look like a, you know, amateur team. I think towards the second half of the game, New York picked it up and cleaned up their game a little bit uh, and was able to kind of get some offense going in terms of generating chances. But that's when, like you said, Brad, it was an all-around effort. The Red Wings really relied on Billy Husso and uh, a lot of block shots, actually. Uh, the the amount of lanes that they got into uh, was impressive as well. So all around, yeah, um, a really strong effort. Andrew Kopp against his former team had 
what was described, I think, fairly as one of his best nights of the season. Open scoring for Detroit and uh, assisted the Rasmussen and the Heronicals. So three points for Kopp, who this is, you know, in the two steps forward, one step back kind of nature of Kopp's season. This seems to be one of his two step forward, uh, two steps forward games for him. And he looked really good. It's funny, I was talking to Greg Kaplan from uh, Blue Shirts Breakaway, and he was like, I, I absolutely should have bet on Cop scoring, because of course he was going to have a red revenge game against the Rangers, who chose Trocek over him. So the like you mentioned, Brad, the uh, scoring was continued after Cop. Uh, the Rangers tied it very briefly in the second period, and uh, the scoring was continued by Philip Zadina. Dylan Larkin did really well to take advantage of a turnover, well, forced a turnover, turnover essentially at the blue line, gave it to Philip Zadina, who... Uh, moved down the wing and fired at home past Halak. That was a confident goal for a guy who sat the game before where Derek Lalone acknowledged that mm, tough decision. He had done everything he needed to do since coming back from his broken leg, but it was just because they wanted to fit Verona in. This was a guy who's largely been affected by confidence historically who came back and for him to score that goal in that game after being sat probably unjustifiably in terms of just pure performance. That was really good to see from Philip Sedina. Yeah, you know, we always joke about being surprised when he does this, but it's what he did in junior. And even in his stint since he's come back from the broken leg, he's playing at a 40-something point pace, um, you know, about a half a point per game. So maybe the confidence is coming. Pucks are starting to drop you. He had another play later in that game that's worth noting where he absolutely walked the Rangers defenseman and um, uh, Halak made a good save on the backhand or else he would have had a highlight real goal there. Um, it's hard to understate the importance of Philip Zadina becoming something that we expected Philip Zadina to do. Not that he's ever going to be what we projected he was going to be when he was drafted six overall. But one of the big keys that has been driving the Red Wings to a lot of their success and a lot of their victories lately is they have finally started to find what most Stanley Cup teams have, which is they they can throw their third and fourth lines on the ice and expect a goal yeah. every game, whether it's one line, that line, both lines, multiple goals. The Sunfist, uh Zadina, uh, Suter line has been arguably the Red Wings' best line over the past two, three weeks. And they score again, they drive play again, and, you know, I know people love to hate on him, and I know he has his apologists, but he's generally the one driving that line. When there's a turnover, a play, a chance, it's either off his stick or he was the last one to touch it before the chance. I made a joke in the Tampa game that, you know, Pew Suter... Uh, got robbed point blank by Andre Vasilevsky. That's how you know Vasilevsky was in one. The turnover and pass was by Zadina. Yeah. And it's becoming a, a very common thing. So him getting the confidence, that line continuing to produce, you couple that with Andrew Kopp now maybe hopefully getting going on the second line because that's probably been the Red Wings' one area of weakness over this hot stretch is the second line still isn't what you would want it to be. It's, it's really good developments because, again, to reiterate a point we made last episode, if the Red Wings are making the playoffs, it's because they have to out-depth teams. And Andrew Kopp and Philip Zadina could be the catalyst to that. With Philip Zadina, I think, uh, like you mentioned, Brad, it's really important to qualify any conversation about him with, you know, this isn't holding him to his draft stock. 
But this, in my mind, is almost a perfect analog to the Michael Rasmussen storyline, which is remove expectations uh, from previous, from his draft time, and just see what you can make of him now. And there's no guarantee that that's going to be a long-term mainstay on the team, but you want to make it into a valuable asset one way or the other. Michael Rasmussen, and it's kind of a somber topic considering he's injured now, uh, but he's really, over the past couple seasons, cemented his spot in the Red Wings you know, call it middle six or bottom six as a a valuable impact player. Philip Zadina, if you can build that confidence to have that kind of player playing in your middle six or bottom six, yeah, the production's not always going to be there. If if it was, we'd be having a different conversation right now, but you can make meaningful impacts on the ice and then rely and not have to rely on the production to come so much. I actually also think that's going to create a little bit of a, uh, a positive feedback loop for him because the moment the pressure is off him, he doesn't have to be the trigger guy in the top six, and Philip Zadina is probably going to be able to do a little bit more. So this, I hope, is the beginning of a Michael Rasmussen-esque uh, development path for him. Only time will tell at this point. So the Red Wings ended up winning the game uh, 4-1. The uh, other goals came from Rasmussen, who positioned himself well in front uh, on a play that uh, Perron found him on, I believe. Uh, Kopp also factored in on that one. And Philip Peronik had a seeing-eye shot from the point, again, also from Kopp and Kubelik. That was on the power play. Uh, and it was, all in all, a really great night for Detroit. Uh, Vili Husso made 30 saves. Like, excellent night for Husso. Uh, I tweeted something out. You know, Vili Husso has just been so excellent since returning from the uh, All-Star break. He's had very few, I'd say, bad games, even statistically, the New York game and the Seattle games were the only ones below 900 in terms of a save percentage. Uh, other than that, he's been really, really solid. The Red Wings' success, you know, we talk about their games not being perfect and not exactly the most flashy, and on paper maybe they weren't the most talented team. You don't get to have those kinds of wins without a goalie doing what Vili Husso is doing. So is he playing, you know, best goalie in the league up there with Vasilevsky, Allmark, the, whoever's going to win the Vezina this year, those numbers? No, but he's doing way more than the Red Wings would have had in previous years, I think. Them being in the mix now is on the shoulders of Husso and Larkin, and I would even say a little bit more more so Husso, because that's a Jenga piece that you can't pull out and have the the tower stay up in my mind. Yeah, Husso obviously is the most important piece down the stretch here, because as much as we've talked about how the Red Wings have cleaned things up defensively, this is still a relatively inexperienced team, whichever way you want to look at it from a playoff aspect or from a plain and simple age aspect. There's going to be mistakes. Um, the Tampa game we'll, we'll talk about, but you have those scenarios where you're dominating a team, but Sider loses a battle on a pinch, Sunkiss makes a battery in the neutral zone, brain points in on a breakaway. Yeah, Those moments are going to happen every game, and they're going to happen multiple times. That just comes with the nature of being an up-and-coming young team. Braden Point's finish was so clinical on that. I watched that. I'm like, man, that's a team that went to the cup finals three straight times. It's the McDavid special. That move, when executed properly, is extremely difficult, but extremely uh, successful more often than not. Um, So the Rangers game was a great example of, yeah, they had a lot of really good chances relative um, to the score and, and who so kept them in it. And, you know, the big thing I would say the difference between Husso and previous years, even when Delkovich or Bernier were running hot, the bad games aren't disastrous. No. You know what I mean? Like He's when, not too much below average. Yeah, when Husso has a bad game, by his standard, it's three or four goals against, maybe five. And 
you can win five, four, four, three games in the NHL. So even if Huso's having an off night, he's at least on enough to give them a chance. Now with the offense, the Red Wings have more often than not, that's still going to be a loss, but you know, you look at the Pittsburgh game or whatever, you can win those games. Um, so to me, that is the biggest difference, not only from a, Hey, you need a save to win, but for the confidence of the team playing in front of him. Cause if he gives up three in the first half of the game, you don't get the feeling from the roster watching the uh, team play in front of them that they think this is coming off the rails. They stick to their game. They don't change a thing. They don't start caving five guys and abandoning the offense because they know every shot's going in. So, you know, when you can walk out every night, every game, play 60 minutes the same way and not have to worry about it, it really does change a season. Yep. It And when Brad mentioned, you know, Huso's off nights, something that I've noticed and a lot of people have, you the, the telltale sign of a off night for Huso, which isn't terribly often, but it's just that the rebound control is not there. The pucks are bouncing right off them. They're being coughed up in the, the dangerous area. Um, it's not so bad recently, but uh, in that stretch of hockey where he was just, I think, worn down, uh, that was... Uh, that's when you have you notice an off Huso, but obviously that's something he's actively working on. So after the Rangers game, the Red Wings were concertedly, not even just by points percentage, in a playoff spot. You know, it was really exciting to see. It was like that's like the fruit of the Red Wings' labor. They're in it. That's uh, something that they deserved, and it's no longer oh if they win their games in hand or two points. Like no, they are in now with games in hand. It was short lived because uh, there were it was Buffalo, Washington, I think played each other. Um, and no matter what the result of that would have been, or Buffalo, Florida or something, uh, no matter what the result of that intra wildcard team uh, game would have been, Detroit would have been bumped out of that playoff spot just by points. But still, uh, seeing them up in there, seeing them in the wildcard spot, that means something. That's something that not just the fans are, are, are excitedly paying attention to. That's something that the team is paying attention to. No doubt that was up on the bulletin board in the dressing room. No doubt that's that, that's something that Eisenman and Horkoff and Draper and everyone were looking at. That was, uh, that's important to see that kind of thing. So short-lived, yes, but it just kind of cemented that the Red Wings were in the mix. Now, there was kind of an air of, all right, the Red Wings just won all of these games. They even took one off New York. They are now playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are going to be in a divisional seed. Andre Vasilevsky starting. Can they do this? What kind of game are they going to come out and play? Are they going to get pummeled? Kind of a funny night because let's we'll talk about Andre Vasilevsky in a second, but you remove him from the equation. The Red Wings were the better team last night. You said when you were talking about the Rangers game, you said, yeah, the Red Wings dominated that game, but it's not like they made the Rangers look like a peewee team or yeah. anything like that. At points in the Tampa game, they made Tampa look like a peewee team. There was prolonged stretches where it felt like Tampa never possessed the puck. They outshot them 45 to 18. The, you know, recent two-time cup champs went to the conference, uh, to the Stanley Cup finals last season. A team that features Stamkos, Kucherov, Braden Point, Victor Hedman, and none of them were even the best player on the ice that night. They speed bagged them. Yeah. Didn't matter because when you have a team that good, you just need one guy clicking. And uh, that guy that was clicking was unfortunately in between the pipes. 45 saves in a shutout. And there's no, 
I'm going to be a, a little bit of a wet blanket in a second here, but there's no avoiding the fact that this is one of the best regular season goaltending performances we've seen in years. Definitely the best that the Red Wings Red Wings fans have laid their eyes on uh, up there with, among the best, I'd say, in the last five years of all NHL regular season goaltending performances. Like that was a clinic by Vasilevsky. And there were great A chances in there. And there was also knuckleballs. There, there was pucks that, you know, caught Vasilevsky while he was sliding, bounced, realistically should have gone through his legs. Was there some luck in there? Yeah, but you know how vibey of a position goal, like the netminder is. Like when you're feeling it, you're feeling it. And he was just stopping everything. There was a point where he made a massive save and then it was squared up. Uh, I, I can't remember who the shooter was. They had a really low percentage shot. And Vasilevsky kind of had his glove almost out of position. Like he knew where the puck was going to go. And the Red Wings shooter put the puck right into his glove. And then he just casually like spun his glove around and got up because the play was like he, it's like he knew three seconds ahead what was going to happen. We are watching, and I know I'm being dramatic here because we just got, it just happened in our faces, but we are watching one of the greatest goaltenders of all time play right now at the height of his game. Andre Vasilevsky is a freak of nature. And for Red Wings fans, this is a, when you hear like the Doomers, not that I necessarily agree with them, but when you hear the Doomers say, well, the Red Wings are are not ready for the playoffs and yeah, there's a, another thing coming if the Red Wings do make it, this is a window into what playoff hockey is. It's not just the other teams being much better. You also have to get used to seeing the other team's best goalies, which the Red Wings have not seen a lot of over the last seven years. Almost every other team in the in the playoff hunt has a superstar. Yeah. Tampa seems to have a few of them, but... <laughs> At every position. At every position. Um, and they definitely flexed that last night right in our face. It's, you know what? It's kind of a, it's probably a good constructive reminder for the fan base of how, of the the, the throws and the uh, the setbacks of, of trying to play meaningful hockey are. Yeah, I don't know how the Doomers come away from that game and say the Red Wings aren't ready for playoff hockey. You're absolutely right. It's a preview. It's a window into it. And it's not always going to go your way when teams have six, seven, eight, nine, 23 superstars. Right. The Tampa is on hot on the heels of Toronto. So they had a lot to play for as well. They were not just, this was not just another game for them. And you could tell they knew that. Hence why Vasilevsky was starting. And Detroit dominated. They walked out there again. They got goalied. It happens. If the Red Wings had a best of seven playoff series with Tampa starting tomorrow. Do you think one game goes like that? Do you think a single game in that series goes like that? No, no. So the fact the Red Wings did it at all is a good window into the fact that, hey, maybe if they get to the playoffs, it won't be a four-game sweep. Maybe they don't get dummied by Boston. Maybe they don't get absolutely pasted by Carolina. Maybe they make a series of it. Again, they lost the game. I understand that. They can hang with the big boys. They just beat the Rangers. Convincingly. Dominating all three zones. They should have beat the Lightning. Convincingly. Dominating all three zones. This is a huge positive. I know we're at the point of the rebuild and this season especially where we're past moral victories. So if you want to look at the whole picture, was Saturday acceptable? No, absolutely not. But if you are still in the camp of moral victories means something, these last two games were probably the biggest window into what are these Red Wings and should they be here? And the answer is a resounding yes. Yep. They absolutely should be here. They belong in this race. They belong in the playoff conversation. Now, as you've laid out with 
the Eastern Conference standings right now and the fact that they lost one game out of in what feels like the last month and they dropped like two, three spots out of a playoff spot just goes to show you what the swings the are re- going to be wild. They are going to be absolute on the extreme end of things and good. Yep. This, this is what we've been waiting for. They've got a back-to-back coming up against Ottawa, a team that is four points four points behind them, uh, at least as of yesterday was four points behind them. Detroit has to take four points here. Yep. This is the part, like any team below them in the standings or in the wild card race with them cannot lose. Can't. If you lose a couple to the Tampas, the New Yorks, the Carolinas, the Bostons here and there, expected. The Red Wings, we all know, they're not going undefeated the rest of the season. They have to carry a 600 something points percentage to get in. Can't be giving up points to Ottawa. If, you know, if you win one in overtime and, and one regulation and you give Ottawa a point, fine. But Detroit has to get two in each of these games. Something I want to say about the Tampa game, you know, Vasilevsky did play great. I just outlined in a very grand way about how good he is, a god amongst men in terms of goaltenders. Something that might be uncomfortable, but I want to acknowledge, the Red Wings don't have good finishing talent. We've talked about it ad nauseum, but they have no elite finishers on this team. I think their shot selection was a little bit... I understand why it was desperate towards his, the latter half of the game. His night was difficult via volume rather than quality. For the, I, I'd say not completely, but largely, yeah. K- kind of. It, it depends. You could almost split that game into two halves in terms of what the Red Wings were generating. And I, I will say in the third period, it was very noticeable. You are right. The Red Wings don't have you know, that top end superstar talent and their biggest problem right now is they lack finishers. I have no argument to that. I agree fully. That's why I always try to judge the Red Wings within the means of what they have, right? Like any game they dominate, I don't ever expect them to score eight goals because they just don't have the scoring talent to score eight goals. So if they get 45 shots in a game, I probably expect four to five goals that game. You know what I'm saying? I feel like in the third period, the shot quality would have been better than it was if the first two periods didn't play out like they were. You could tell they... Oh, Larkin was ready to stare a laser beam through Vasilevsky's eyes. They were trying to make that extra backdoor pass because they knew they weren't scoring from where they were. One play where Zadina walked in, had a chance in the slot, passed it up. You saw Larkin get in the slot and try a backdoor to Iwana Sabertuzzi. A lot of cross-crease passes, a lot of, you could tell they were spooked. You yeah. could tell they're like, okay, I don't care how good of a shooter I am or I'm not. I'm not scoring from here on this guy. Whereas 99 out of 100 times, any other goalie, any other day, even Vasilevsky on any other day, they're trying those shots and they'd be successful on a bunch of them, but they just knew. You you could see it, the, the overthinking, the overpassing. So had they played that game, as if Vasilevsky hadn't played those two previous periods, we probably see more higher quality chances because they're going to take those shots. They're not going to try to overcomplicate what should be a simple play. One thing I want to um, acknowledge, actually going back to the Ranger game quickly, not to spend a lot of time on it because I, I just am exhausted by spending time on complaining about refs, but how funny was it on the last episode where Brad said word for word that cross-check to the face is black and white. Like You don't have to like it as a Red Wings fan, but you have to make that call as a referee. And then Lindgren in the Rangers game cross-checks Michael Rasmussen, not in the exact same way, but the impact sure felt the same. It was a cross-check that went to the face, caught him in the chin. 
Uh, I think the same result, like Rasmussen was hurt in the moment, came back to the game, same as TJ Oshie. They reviewed the play. They called it two minutes. I understand, like, you, you, you don't, like we said last episode, the referees don't care about previous calls, but that one was, that was a miss in that moment. That's a miss in terms of NHL standards of refereeing. That whole game was officiated poorly. Like, the Rasmussen laid a clean hit on Panarin. That was the softest charging call I've seen in a long time. Like, that's not a charge. Plain and simple. Uh, call me biased. That's a, that's a weak, soft call. He got then mugged from behind by Fox, who was then they, like Rasmussen was down on his back or or uh, Fox was on his back or whatever. And then Rasmussen got the extra for the charge and roughing. I'm sorry. Oh, you don't don't look at me. <laughs> I'm on your side. Just the whole the way that game was managed front to end was crappy. Forget the minor penalties and the Rasmussen getting the extra. I just think how funny that last episode we preached like. You don't have to like it. Cross checks to the face are going to get that major. Yeah, I said a uh, cross check to the face is black and white. I never said I expect the NHL to get that right 100% of the time. <laughs> I don't expect the NHL to get anything when it comes to officiating right 20% of the time. And I, it feels like we're always ripping on the refs, but that's just the nature of sports. You're always going to be unsatisfied anytime there's any sort of bad non-call or call towards your favorite team. And, and we always understand that. But this is getting to be a real problem beyond just the Red Wings game. Yeah. If those two plays, the Lindgren cross-check and the Larkin cross-check, were called exactly the way they were, but there were no reviews on either of them, I think we're 75% less pissed off right now. The fact that they were reviewed (laughs) and deemed to be different... Is what makes the absurdity of absurdity of it more clear. Well, until the next one. The only greater job where you can suck at your job is being a weatherman. So last bit of Red Wings news before we cut to our quick uh, segment with Max here. Uh, Michael Rasmussen took a puck to the kneecap, it looked like, in the uh, Tampa Bay game. Left in some pain. Uh, the Red Wings announced today that he is out indefinitely. I've seen it described as week to week, but it's undoubtedly... Um, a fact that he's not going to be back anytime soon. These are the most important weeks of hockey the Red Wings have had in years. And Michael Rasmussen, though not necessarily a top-line player, has uh, has cemented himself as being an impact player, especially in the Red Wings' depth, you know, using his physicality a little bit more, that kind of thing. How big of a hit is this to the Red Wings, um, and what's the lineup impact? Well, the lineup impact is nobody has to come out now and Raymond... It's back. Yeah. That's Lucas Raymond's spots there. So it's it's not a good situation, but at least it, you know, it, it's already been a rotation of guys who don't deserve to be scratched getting scratched just to to make the roster work. Imagine that rotation if it had to be two guys. That would be very, very tricky for the loan to juggle. So that, you know, and given that Verona is probably the most likely Red Wing to be traded this week, it provides a resolution there. Obviously losing Rasmussen, though he's not a top six player, he is a very effective player, and that that's a big blow. Yeah. Um, he, offensively, he, he is what he is, and he'll, he'll give you your 30 to 40 points a year, but the fact that he can play all situations for the most part and his versatility comes in handy a lot. Again, I don't think it takes the Red Wings out of the playoff race by any means. And obviously with Lucas Raymond coming back in his spot, that's still an upgrade on what they've had for the last couple weeks. But yeah, it 
it hurts. There's no way around it. You mentioned Verona, most likely to be traded. Uh, that's stemming off of reports. Uh, last episode, we had that insert where basically the Red Wings sent down Verona. Um, and at the end of the insert, we said this could also be just a paper move. And that's what it ended up being, essentially a bunch of cap stuff. But uh, uh, without diving too much into the rules, the Red Wings were minimizing his on-roster days to extend his waiver exempt eligibility for as long as possible. Regardless, Verona actually got in the next game. Verona, Zadina, and Berggren seem to be the players who have been rotating in and out uh, while the Red Wings, it's going to sound crummy to say, but waited for an injury. Remember, this was a, a very healthy forward group. Like Lucas Raymond is an important player to be out, but just one player being out of your forward group at this point in the season is actually kind of impressive. So while it was just one injury, yeah, it was Zadina, Berggren, and, and Verona cycling in. So Verona was actually in for the Rangers game, out for the Tampa game. Berggren was out for the Tampa game, or uh, the Rangers game, and in for the Tampa game. Um, Berggren kind of looked iffy uh, against Tampa. I think the, the the grind and the physicality of the season is maybe wearing on him a little bit right now. I wonder if he isn't a little banged up, but um, yeah. It, uh, Elliot Friedman then also said he was talking to Jeff Merrick on 32 Thoughts um, it was mentioned that this is the Red Wings showcasing Verona and he said yeah absolutely they're showcasing Verona the Red Wings are essentially trying to get him in as much as possible right now to see what teams are coming to watch to see what teams are interested remember Timo Meyer, he's been traded to New Jersey we're still waiting on the return but that's a shooting talent that's a goal scoring talent is Verona there? No 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 not at all but if you can look past all of the very important <laughs> opaque context in front of it, there's still a talented shooter under there that teams may be looking at and saying, well, Verona's values at his lowest. It's a risk because there's a, you know, a human element to this that we don't know how it's going to play out, but could we trade for him and get him into a new situation and extract something out of him? So uh, this is the Red Wings trying to essentially get themselves out of 5.25 million next year create that roster spot and potentially get something in return. It was mentioned by Freeman that the Red Wings may have to incentivize because of the the dollar value next year. I believe that's probably a, a very high possibility, although personally I don't love that. Just because I don't love it doesn't mean it's not going to happen though. Yeah, and incentivizing could be giving up an asset to take the full contract or retaining salary to make it a little more palatable for the other team. Both options are likely on the table because you look out on the teams that missed out on Timo Meyer. Now Carolina, as an example, might be like, yeah, we don't love the player, but we, we really need to fill this hole, you know, on power play two or whatever the reasoning might be. He might be a guy they turn to and, you know, he's, he's been a successful player in his career. Someone's going to go, but we can fix him. Right. Yeah. And if nobody steps up to the plate, uh, maybe that team that's like, well, maybe we can fix them could be the Red Wings. Never know. If there's no takers, you can't just, I shouldn't say can't, you don't want to just bury $5.25 million of a talented shooter in the minors for a year and a half. You got to see what you can get. And with Verona, we know it'll be a mixed bag because in the two games he played, I felt he had a very strong game against Washington and I didn't love his game against the Rangers. So, you know, it is what it is. And it's only two games up from the minors. So it's kind of probably to be expected, but they have options. Uh, not many of them good, but they have options. Inevitably, there are going to be questions here saying, I can't believe you guys are talking about this 
Verona situation so normally as as if it's okay to have such a talented shooter, you know, on the fringe of the lineup. Two things here. One, the situation is still fluid. Things could change. Please know that. And two, if Verona's playing level was where it was at last season, you know, when he was playing and, and at his best, this conversation wouldn't be happening right now. I know it's really, really, really hard to kind of wrap your head around, like, how does this fall off so fast? This isn't a normal player progression thing. This isn't coming back from injury. It's coming back from a lot more, uh, something that disrupts more than just your on-ice play. It's everything in Verona's life. So uh, this is a, a, a nuanced, complicated story that's going to unravel over time. Uh, we know how insane it all sounds, but this is the reality of what's happening right now. There's so much going on that we forget. He is also coming back from an injury. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, let's jump into our conversation here with Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit. Max, uh, I caught him after the flight and he was going to uh, get himself a new wardrobe because he forgot his suitcase <laughs> uh, going to Ottawa. But uh, for what he lacks in remembering his suitcase, he more than makes up for with his uh, excellent work for The Athletic Detroit and his read on the Red Wings. So uh, here to uh, uh, give us the good stuff and, and talk all about the Red Wings position at the deadline uh, and more, Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit. Enjoy. Max, this is very hockey insider of you. I'm uh, trying to pin down some of your time, and the best we could do is capturing uh, you in an Uber. So uh, I think this is uh, a sign that things are going well in terms of, of, of the hockey world and your coverage. Yeah, something like that. I mean, <laughs> we, we would have had an easier time uh, figuring it out if I hadn't uh, walked out of the house this morning without my suitcase. So now I have to go scramble to buy a whole new uh <laughs> whole new wardrobe in Ottawa here for this for this two game series, but we'll make it work, right? Yeah, it's like the adult version of forgetting your hockey bag at home when your uh when your parents are driving you to your game out of town. Yeah, exactly. So uh Max, like you mentioned, you're you're off to cover the Red Wings on their uh two game both in Ottawa uh trip uh north of the border, but of course the big story here is that these games are impactful. Uh, our original plan to be completely transparent with the viewers was we've been talking for a few months of, all right, we're going to do the trade deadline and then, you know, the the Winged Wheel podcast and Prashant and you are all going to sit down and, and talk about a post deadline and where the Red Wings are at and what are they going to do this offseason. But plans have changed. Um, as Steve Eisman mentioned on his uh, interview on Alan Walsh's podcast, Agent Provocateur, uh, he's finding the Red Wings in a little bit of a different spot than maybe they anticipated in January. So what do you make of, of everything the Red Wings have done to put themselves in the playoff mix? And uh, do you think it's seriously changed, changed the trajectory of how Eisenman is approaching this trade deadline? I do. And I think he basically said as much on, on that podcast. If you go listen back to it, right, he kind of talked about being somewhere in the middle of of being a buyer and a seller, being open to make a trade, doesn't want to, you know, spend their high, you know, real high, high caliber young uh, players on something unless they know the player is going to be there for a long time coming back or or part of the future at least. But I thought it was really interesting. He he told this story, this kind of memory from his first year in Tampa in 10-11. He expected to have a top 10 pick, expected to sell. Uh, and, and in the end, they end up buying. They trade for Eric Brewer. I kind of wonder if we see something similar happen now here because they are not only in this playoff race. I mean, they don't have the spot right now, but they look like they're going to be a threat to stay in it. So, uh, yes, I think things have, have changed significantly. And I think he all but said it on that on that on that uh, podcast. 
Now, Max, a lot of our conversations on the side here have been, well, pretty much mindsets have been changing over time. And um, quite admittedly, I had a lot of skepticism coming into it. And it all started with the decision to pull Tyler Bertuzzi off the market. I mean, for now, the big caveat that anything can happen. But uh, for me personally, I had a, uh, I just don't see it to, all right, the proof is in the pudding. They're putting up the points to, yeah, once you start to see the rest of the teams in the Eastern mix, I genuinely believe the Red Wings can do this. And uh, uh, based on the hype and the the excitement and the value of the playoffs, I'm actually kind of in favor of this. Have you had any kind of a, a difference in opinion over the last four weeks? Yeah, I mean, when I first heard that they might pull Bertuzzi off the market, I was thinking kind of like, oh, no, that feels short-sighted. And they just kept winning like over and over again. And, and at some point, the math gets so good. I'm not, I mean, I think they're still you know, I think it's like a 30% chance right here, but it, that's, that's good enough. Like that's good enough to chase it. You know, at, at the time I think it came out, I think they were around like 8% and I was kind of thinking, no, that's not enough to, to risk it, but you get this close. And I think, especially if you were to go out and add a piece and try to boost those chances, um, then all of a sudden I do think that's close enough. And so that it's been a complete lady for me. I, I thought, honestly, I felt like, what are they thinking the first time I heard that? Um, and, and as they've kept winning, um, obviously the loss last night, but one of their better efforts of the season. Um, I, I, my thinking's changed completely. Before we get into, you know, the boring stuff, which is what do you think is the most realistic? Let's have some fun. Uh, you wrote a, an article on the athletic Detroit, which we're going to link to in the uh, description of this episode, pretty much, uh, in the hypothetical, if, of, if the Red Wings were to buy, you know, akin to what he did with Tampa Bay in that surprising year where they went to the conference finals, uh, who are some likely targets? And and you named some people in this article that I think are really interesting. Um, who are some of the players where you think would be, I think, the most realistic if this were to be how things were to play out for the Red Wings? Yeah, so obviously, uh, to to the point of the last question, right? Like, it's been a little bit of catch-up on, on the who's available on the buyer's side of things, non-rental edition, right? Because we're talking about mostly non-rentals. I did throw Nick Jensen's name in there just because I think he's so good at maybe their biggest position in need, which is third pair right D uh, obviously beyond kind of the high end forward that I think everyone knows they, they could certainly use um, the guys that I listed that I think stood out the most to me were Tanner Janot from the national predators and Matt Roy from uh, LA, uh, both guys who have team control remaining, both guys have elements that they don't have uh, Roy, you know, he's a, he's a, I was shocked to even see his name had been out there um, because he's playing on the second pair for another playoff team right now in Los Angeles, but it is a crowded situation there. It's a kind of an area of strength for the Kings. If they would move him, he's got a little term left. I think that's a a now solution, and it's a next year solution. Uh, I think that's a really that would be a really interesting option. And then Tanner Janot, you know, I don't it's not like I think the, these Redmonds are soft or anything, but they just don't have that real edge physical element to them, right? I think they they compete, but it's they don't have that guy who. Um, it kind of strikes fear into you. So Tanner Janot uh, led all NHL forwards in hits last season. And oh, by the way, he had 24 goals. The, the shooting has regressed significantly this year with shooting percentage, but it's kind of over regressed. And I think, I wonder if you could maybe get him uh, a little cheaper as a result. I don't think Nashville is going to be eager to get rid of him by any means, but he's arbitration eligible. That's been pointed out. And sometimes that makes teams do, uh, do different things. So uh, those are two guys that stood out. I will say, I was reading our uh, athletic bold predictions column the other day and our hurricanes writer, Corey uh, Lavalette said uh, he, he thought uh, the, the capital should make a play for Tom Wilson. 
if under any circumstances Tom Wilson is out there, uh, that answers every box, right? And I think that would be a, a home run. Now, I, I imagine that's a little costlier, but I thought that really was interesting and stood out to me. It's interesting, like the the Nick Jensen piece, the Matt Roy piece, obviously that, that third pair right D, uh, that's the focus because it's Lindstrom, it's Hag, it's whoever's there, where some games you think, oh, you know, they're holding their own, and then Hag the other night obviously had a huge stinker. Uh, it's been such a massive change because before Red Wings fans were looking at that third pair saying, well, that's not quite what matters. Like the, the rest of their defense really right. needs to be fit, filled out. So, you, you know, you fill out that, that right side on the third pair. How competitive could you view that Red Wings blue line? Let's say Cider Woman, uh, Mata Hronik, Sherratt, and then whoever they bring in in no particular order. Cause I know uh, Derek Lalone's not particularly want to put Sherratt on the third pair. How competitive could you view that defensive core in a playoff series? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's a, it's, it would be a playoff decor at that point. I mean, I think obviously, um, you need cider to kind of play like the star, but, but he and Wallman have played it at an elite level, uh, especially defensively. And I think uh, that goes a long way. I talked to Peronic against the lightning the other night was outstanding. Um, I obviously they lose the game, but I really liked a lot of what I saw from him against some of the lightnings really battle tested players. So yes, I think it's a playoff decor. I think, you know, that, that last spot on the third pair is probably the, the last big hole. And I, you know, I guess the concern here is right. Like you want to bring back Wallman, and if you do, and you go out and you get another D with term, now you got six guys under contract for next season. You still don't have Simon Edmondson in the fold. I think it's a real like valid talking point. But at, at some point, I think injuries are going to happen. And, and, and if you're going to be serious about going for it this year, I think a, a guy with some term, not like super long term, I still think that makes sense. Now, the Red Wings announced today that uh, Michael Rasmussen is out indefinitely. I think they called it week to week. He took that shot to the kneecap last night. Uh, didn't look pretty. He was in, con- in a considerable amount of pain. With him being out for the foreseeable future, does that change the needle? Does that change Eisenman's focus? Does that make him more of a buyer to try to replace that? Or does that cause, uh, if you're the Red Wings, some concern to say, okay, how much does this one injury hurt us here? good question i don't know the answer to that i think we'll probably know a little more after we see two games in ottawa uh, these next two nights but um that's a big loss for them and we'll see how long i, I think today I, I wasn't at practice today i was flying but i think i saw the update was indefinite i mean that's not what you want to hear when you're in a playoff race obviously so uh that is i think a, an important uh factor in all of this for, for the red Wings. because he's been as good as anybody uh since the all-star break now, in terms of forward slotting in, obviously that means they don't have to free up a roster spot for when uh, Lucas Raymond is back from injury, which you would hope would be uh, just Monday here. But uh, Verona is always kind of the player people have their eyes on. Uh, the Red Wings have been slotting him into the roster um, a bit. He wasn't in last night, but it's been reported um, you know, by Elliot Friedman and others that this is very much the Red Wings showcasing Verona for other teams who are interested in adding talent for a value cost. Uh, what do you make of the Verona situation and does he qualify as the most likely Red Wing to move uh, at this upcoming trade deadline? I guess probably. I mean, unless, you know, they, they lose three straight here and decide to sell or something. But um, yeah, I, I think that's probably true. Uh, the question for me is like, is it really going to be a needle moving return? I mean, obviously if, if you're doing it, it's probably just to kind of part ways. Um, and, you know, I don't think that's necessarily like a, a big needle moving return, in my opinion. But um, we'll see where it goes. I, I, uh, 
I think that situation by now kind of has, it's gone, it seems like it's gone in every, every which direction. So, uh, it would not surprise me if he's moved, but it, it would not surprise me if he stays put and, and that gets resolved in the off season either. And now last one here, cause I know you have a hotel to check into and a brand new outfit to buy. Uh, the Red Wings, like you mentioned, have three games before the deadline, two against Ottawa and one against Seattle. Do you think there's any combination of games, uh, results in these games that could change Eisenman and the Red Wings management's mindset as to how to approach the deadline? Or do you feel like they're locked in now based on the fact that they're in the mix at this point? I think it would probably need to be three losses, right, to change anything. I don't think, I don't think winning's changing anything. I think that's, that's at this point what will be par. Uh, but I think three losses or, I don't know, maybe if you only get one win, and it's a shaky one, I guess. But my feeling would probably be, it's probably, if you, if you win any of these, I think you probably put yourself in a position to add because you're still going to be within two to three points of, of that last, last wild card at that point. All right, Max. Well, we're going to have you on plenty more and uh, we'll see how Friday goes. So best of luck uh, with your shopping spree and uh, have fun in Ottawa for the next couple of days. And we'll we'll chat with you post-deadline. Thank you. That sounds good, man. Appreciate you being flexible with me. All right, folks. Max Boltman, The Athletic Detroit. Uh, as always, link in the description. Go subscribe. Well worth it. Take care. And that was our uh, quick but uh, fruitful conversation with Max Boltman. Always appreciate Max coming onto the show and be sure to check out his article. Uh, more from him after the deadline. Speaking of the deadline, where the Red Wings stand right now is technically out of the playoff picture. By points percentage, they are the first team out of a wild card spot. Um, but there's going to be a lot of movement. Like I said, uh, they have equals equal games played to Buffalo and Pittsburgh, who are by points percentage in. And Ottawa, who, like you said, Brad, are only four points behind them. And they have games in hand on the Islanders, Florida, and Washington. Still, uh, the Red Wings are in the mix, even if not in it right now. Uh, they have two really important, you know, in-division games coming up uh, Monday, Tuesday against Ottawa. And then, of course, uh, they have Seattle on Thursday. And that's everything they have before the trade deadline. So with where they are at right now, are the Red Wings buyers of any capacity? Are they sellers of any capacity? And do you think there's still room to change based on the results of these upcoming three games? Hmm. Last episode, I have no, I said, I have no idea what, what these Red Wings are anymore. And I continue to sort of feel that way. Mm -hmm. I don't think they are buyers or sellers. I think, you know, maybe there's a smart move, whether that be a, a trade Jacob Verona for some, some draft capital or a prospect, or there's a buy player X, um, from this team to, to help somewhere in the lineup. I think that's sort of maybe more the direction they go, but in terms of big game hunting, I think every other team who are serious contenders are the ones doing the, the throwing all the chips in right now. And I don't think, depending on who it is, if it's Connor McDavid, yes, be involved. <laughs> but I don't think true. this right now is the year to go and start throwing chips in. Um, I think the Red Wings just need to make smart, strategic type plays. Um, but, you know, maybe something. Things might not materialize in that way. Like it seems like all the true contenders right now are just going big game hunting. So something might materialize. You know, there's always teams that sort of get nervous when other players start to go off the board. So something might come up out of nowhere that we don't really expect. Only time will tell, I guess. What's your appetite for, you know, we've talked about this a little bit and Max mentioned some of it. 
something further down the lineup, third pair, maybe even second pair, right D, something that could be had for as, let's call it as high as third pick and third round pick and middling prospect, second round pick and value, but you know, more middle picks just to add that supplementary piece. We're not talking Timo Meyer for obvious reasons anymore, but what's your appetite for buying in that capacity? I hate giving non-answers on this podcast because it's boring content, but I'm essentially going to give a non-answer here. It depends. It really does. Do I have any appetite to give up a second round pick plus in terms of value for something this year? No, absolutely not. That is 100% off the table if we're talking like rentals, depth piece, et cetera. No appetite for that whatsoever. The Red Wings, if you look at that roster and if you look at, if you want to look at like hyper-focused specific spots, beyond just, you know, the the talent gap at the top of the lineup between the Red Wings and other teams, they have one problem, I would say. Third pair right D. They've tried Hag, Osterley, Lindstrom. None of them are it. Osterley's probably the best of the bunch, and he still leaves a lot to be desired. They gave Hag some run. He's terrible. I can't they, believe I, I actually... That game... He, uh, everybody the, gets one. That Rangers game was... I don't think he's been particularly good all year, but I was like, I want to recognize a guy further down the lineup who who's done who's done a little bit better. And then that Rangers game, I was like, my God, it's off. So they tried Lindstrom's only played like three of the last ten games, so they threw him back in. He was bad um, in a game where the Red Wings was dominant. You still noticed he wasn't it. Um, he played twelve seconds on at the end of a power play and took what I can only describe as the worst, most ill-timed and worst. I don't even know how to, uh, least effective point shot I've ever seen in the history of hockey. Um, You've not seen me play, man. My point shot was bad. He literally tried a saucer pass to the front of the net and hit the defense, Tampa defense in the chest and it went down the other way. Sounds familiar. Yeah. So anyways, um, that spot, if the Red Wings were to toss a fourth, fifth, sixth round pick at a team to, to shore that hole up. Okay. I think the Red Wings have enough draft capital and enough prospects that a mid-round pick at this point is not consequential to their future. Um, again, you still want you know balls in the hopper. You still want the lottery picks. You still want the chance. But honestly, the Red Wings, once you get out of the first round, haven't been particularly effective uh, in drafting in a long time. Yeah. Um, they are. There was actually a stat that came out that showed they were the bottom third of the league, and obviously that there's that some of that's Eisenman, some of that's the Holland era, so it, it's hard to get an exact feel. But either way, they haven't been great at it. Um, so I have no problems, but the premium picks, so we'll call them first and second round picks or equivalent prospects, absolutely not, no chance unless you're going big game hunting, which we talked about because the Red Wings that third pair right D. And first line, that's their problems. They have no, I really, really, truly like this roster everywhere in between. It's come together really nicely. Right? Is it the best of each line, best second line, best third line, best fourth line? No, it's not the best. Of course, there can always be improvements, but in terms of holes, like true deficiencies, elite scoring, uh, depth, right D. Like if you break down the Red Wings forward line specifically, and you rank them across the rest of the NHL, the, the problem becomes pretty apparent pretty quick. Right now, over the last month, I would argue the Red Wings might have the best fourth line in hockey. The way they're producing, the way they're playing, the way they have been consistently doing this now for a prolonged period of time, mm -hmm. their third line is probably well above league average. Right now, their second line is probably considerably below league average, and their first line 
on the good games is average at best. Like that's, that's the problem. You would ideally not like David Perron on your top line. You would prefer him on your second line. You probably don't want Andrew Kopp as your second line center. You probably want to slot him down a little bit. Larkin and Raymond are probably the only true first liners on this team. Bertuzzi has his nights and obviously there's been a lot more of them lately than there were at the beginning uh, and middle of the season between the injuries, but to be a Stanley cup contender, you need Dylan Larkin and or Lucas Raymond playing on your second line because you need first line caliber players down the lineup. That's how you win. Look at Tampa. Like Anthony Sorelli's on their third line. He might win a Selkie one day. Like yeah. you, you need to have those luxuries and the Red Wings are still steps away from that. So where I'm at for the trade deadline, coming from a seller standpoint for the Red Wings, I would not be actively shopping anybody. I just wouldn't. The depth is their key. That's how they're going to get in. Now, that obviously comes with a caveat. I would sell anybody on this team at any point for the right price. But you have to be realistic. Are those prices going to come? No, of course not. Otherwise, Those you, kinds of trades just don't happen in the ex- Exactly. If Edmund came... You know, Edmonton said, hey, we're going to give you four first round picks and our top prospects for Dylan Larkin. You go, okay, yes, please. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't happen. Um, So I don't expect them to be sellers. If a good enough, I think Bertuzzi might be the only player where they get an offer so good they can't say no. But I call that unlikely because they have so much depth at forward. I would not be surprised to see maybe a Verona or, you know, insert other pending UFA here, Sunkfist hypothetically. Traded for a decent return? Sure. I could see that. Yeah. But as a buyer, no. You are either getting Chikrin or Nick Jensen. Like, there there should be no in-between there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm with you, Brad. Uh, I'm, I've firmly had my mind changed based on just, like, look at how more meaningful this hockey is for the Red Wings players, but just the city of Detroit for for Hockey Town, and I mean both Hockey Town, the place, and the collective of Red Wings fans around the world. Like Red Wings fans are are feeling something they haven't felt in a decade, recently or, or near on a decade, and that does mean something. My, I've said this a million times on this podcast, and I know anytime anyone who works in the league hears me say this, they laugh and they say, "Okay, easy for you to say," but I don't cry for millionaires and billionaires. Like I, I don't. It's not our job to care about the bottom line, but it is Steve Eisman's job to some capacity to care about the bottom line. Uh, how much? That, that's an argument for a different day, and we had that plenty when we talked about Ken Holland and and pressure from ownership to keep making the playoffs. And that's gonna that's a different argument. But I understand the business side of things. Do I agree? Do I care? Eh, irrelevant. But I do care about the meaningful hockey for Red Wings fans, the meaningful hockey for uh, for the players. And I think once you start to say like, yeah, I want to start making the playoffs perennially. You don't want your best roster coming in to a year where your most important players have never done this before. I think Tampa Bay's advantage or the reason they were able to get over the hill eventually, I mean, eventually, and it was a long while, is their best players had experience. So there was a little bit of been there, done that. So it's never too soon to start that. I've been sold on making the playoffs. So yeah, I'm I'm very happy to give up decent but not top assets if it can help him get a push over the edge. Uh, Alex Tuck is out f- uh, on IR, and he obviously for Buffalo, that's a big hit. That's an opportunity for Detroit. That's a big player. They're up there with uh, Pittsburgh and the Islanders and whoever else as the most likely threats for one of those two wildcard spots. So if you can add while they're losing, I think that's something that you should try to do. But 
yeah, I, I'm not doing it. I'm not overpaying and, and giving a second round pick for a, a middle six forward or something like that. It has to be filling in a deficiency and it has to be where you're either not feeling the hurt or the big shiny prizes you're getting is worth giving up, you know, a first plus Berggren plus whatever else that you'd have to give up. The latter doesn't happen too often. I don't want to say it's impossible. I agree with you that Bertuzzi still might go for the right price when we do our uh, uh, trade deadline primer. Also, I guess we never acknowledged this was meant to be our trade deadline primer episode. It's not because, you know, the Red Wings keep doing this playoff thing. So we're going to do that on Wednesday for you. But um, we'll know a little bit more by then, hopefully, about the Bertuzzi situation. I think Ver- I, I think the, the team is very much going to try to get out on Verona so they don't have to buy him out. And I think they feel, not certainly, I'm not going to put it out there certainly, but I think they feel that it's likely that they would have to unless a lot changes. Yeah. And right now, you know, you look at the conversations we were having three weeks ago compared to now, it's, it's you know, stating the obvious to, to point out that this is very fluid. Things can change rapidly. If the Red Wings collect zero out of four points from Ottawa, we might be having a very different conversation midweek because they could be yep. six, seven, eight points out of a playoff spot by the time the trade deadline hits still. That is very much in the realm of possibility. Now, the way the Red Wings have been playing and the way they just played against Tampa and New York, if they take zero to four points from Ottawa, that might be one of the biggest anomalies of the season. But, you know, it's the Red Wings. We've been around here for the last seven years. We know that is very much in the cards. So... There, there, it's still very fluid. There's still a lot of possibilities. I think the ultimate reality here is, um, do I? if you ask me, do I think the Red Wings are buyers or sellers? My answer is no, because <laughs> I don't think they're really going to be either. I think they understand that this group is good enough to make a push, but maybe not get in. But they're also too good to tank. So you kind of just ride it. Yeah. And then if they get in and they're still competing, amazing. But... If they don't, it's not the end of the world. You didn't lose assets for nothing. I wouldn't be surprised if Eisenman went out and traded for someone with a bit of term. Mm -hmm. That could be very much in the cards. There are players out there. There could be some salary cap shenanigans um, in terms of moving money around just to get like maybe a player who slots better. I know I floated the idea probably about six weeks ago. Um, Something around Verona and Besser, two overpaid slumping forwards. Maybe that's what the Red Wings try. Hey, Verona's not working here. You guys try him. Besser's not really working there. We'll try him here. Maybe. Again, not super likely, but in the cards. So, yeah. Ultimately, I think it's going to be a very quiet trade deadline for the Red Wings. One, maybe two trades. Anything more than that, I'd at this point actually be surprised. So, again, uh, our trade deadline primer is going to come to you Wednesday night uh, when we know more. These two games against Ottawa are going to mean a lot for Detroit's playoff push and trade deadline positioning. Yes, that's a real sentence that I'm saying in this year, 2023. Oh, how times change. Uh, so thank you for your patience. I know uh, today's supposed to be the primer, but we're in the business of not playing with fire. And, and in the in the trade world and Steve Eisenman's world, uh, news changes in a flash. Uh, very quickly here, I'm just going to recap some things that are happening or have happened We're going to recap um, these trades, I think, more earnestly over the next couple episodes. But just so folks know, some trades that have happened over the last little while. um, Ottawa dumped Nikita Zaitsev a second and a fourth round pick just to dump Zaitsev's cap. So they got future considerations back. Um, Boston 
ended up bringing in Garnet Hathaway and Dmitry Orlov. They used uh, uh, Minnesota as a middleman to retain salary, and Washington got Craig Smith, a first, a third, and a second uh, in 2025 um, in exchange for a more complicated tra- trade, but for those two players. The Rangers dumped Vitaly Kravtsov, who you know wasn't getting to the lineup there, wasn't very well liked by Gallant, it seemed. Vancouver got him for a seventh and a uh, uh, William Lockwood, a you know, I think twenty three ish year old prospect, but uh, cheap price to pay for a guy who could end up handing out. Uh, weird. I wonder why the Rangers would be trying to clear some cap space right now. Yeah, the, Odd, and it's weird. Braden Schneider and uh, Ryan Carpenter uh, did not are not going to be taking a shift tonight for roster management reasons. Weird. Oddly, uh, do you see Patrick Kane didn't play last night? That's right. wonder and, if there's anything there. And I think it's by tomorrow, Rangers will technically have accrued enough cap space to make a hypothetical trade for someone with Kane's salary. I heard Wednesday, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. basically every day matters right now. Yeah. Odd. I'm sure it's all just a coincidence. Cap space is accrued daily. This is a reminder of that. It's not often relevant to Detroit, but for teams who are doing this, Every dollar matters. Remember in the offseason, right before the beginning of the season, we were laughing because uh, was the Leafs got to within $4 of the salary cap. L- literally every day matters. Yeah. Uh, the the Winnipeg Jets obviously were out on um, Timo Meyer. Meyer didn't want to stay there long term. Uh, so they said, screw it. They went out and got Nino Niederreiter for a second round pick. Uh, Ivan Barbashev to the Golden Knights in exchange for prospect Zach Dean. And I think that's a meatier deal than people kind of give credit to both for players moving both ways. I I like Zach Dean, the prospect, uh, and Timo Meyer to the devils. And we gave the NHL more than an hour here and we still don't know the return teams in the Western conference. Listen to me. (laughs) Stop sending them here. (laughs) This conference is already a big enough shit show. Stop loading it. Could one team in the West trade for somebody of any significance with all due respect to Ivan Barbashev? Like, Niederreiter was already out there. Like, the only, every team in the West is selling, but the big names are coming East. Remember when the Wings were in the Western Conference forever, and the Western Conference was the Thunderdome forever? And then it seemed like the exact year the Red Wings switched back to the Eastern Conference, it flipped, and now the East is the Thunderdome, and the West is uh, lagging behind significantly? What the shit? Can we... This, like this is our penance for that central division forever. Oh, absolutely. This is our penance is. for that. Yeah, yeah. All those years of dunking on uh, Columbus and Nashville, um, and Chicago was horrible then too. Don't yeah. forget, it was basically us and St. Louis forever. So the Red Wings just—they were the monsters all season and didn't get like really, really hard tests for most years until the playoffs. They've deserved all their success, but it, the playoffs were when the real tests came. Yeah, this is absolutely the flip side. I've seen Thunderdome dis- divisions. There's always a, you know a division or even a conference every year where you're like, yeah, stronger. The East is like, this is the most egregious I've ever seen it, and it's a way where I'm like, I don't see these players leaving here. Like, this is this is in my mind another argument for the cap because if not for the salary cap, it can get so loaded on one side so easily and there'd be no mechanism to force those players out onto other teams because the only saving grace here for the teams you know trying to crack the top of the atlantic or trying to crack the top of the metro is well eventually these guys are gonna have to pay for these players these teams are gonna have to pay for these players at you know full rate and they're not gonna be able to afford them all and they're gonna have to trade them that in my mind is like it's the only thing you can hope for legitimately because in your opinion who's the best team in the west right now 
it's hard to say. Like, is it Edmonton? Edmonton, Colorado. Col- Neither of them are really playing like it. Colorado was injured. Edmonton's Edmonton. Dallas, maybe. Dallas? Okay. Let's go with Dallas. Just for argument's sake. Tell me when I name a team in the East that they are definitively better than. Toronto. Tampa. Boston. Carolina. The Rangers. New Jersey. They can compete with the Rangers, I'd say. Compete? Okay, that that's not what my question was. The Rangers, the Devils. Buffalo. Yeah. Like, there we go. Yeah. Detroit, Pittsburgh. Like they're a wild card team in the East right now. The funny thing is, how likely is it now that we see a Western Conference Cup win because it's going to be a bloodbath in the East? I, I know we love dunking on them, but let's say this is the Leafs here. Their path to the cup <laughs> is likely Tampa, Boston, either Carolina or the Rangers, and then they're in the Stanley Cup finals. I hate this playoff format so much. It's terrible. It's so bad. It's so, so, so bad. I can't stand it. Like, again, fun to dunk on the Leafs. And I love that it's them that are getting screwed by this. But you can't tell me arguably the fourth or fifth best team in the league has to run through the third, first, and arguably second best team in the league to get to the cup final. That is bonkers. So obviously uh, quite a bit to cover on Wednesday's true trade deadline primer, not just in terms of the uh, megadome that is the East, but in terms of anything that might happen for the Red Wings. So stay tuned for that. For now, uh, Brad and I are without Evan. He had to uh, leave for the end of the podcast, and that's always a danger zone for us when we don't have him to keep us in check. So we're going to move over to Overtime. Overtime is brought to you again by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. Like we said at the top of the show, it really is what makes this uh, uh, show go around and uh, all of our growth, all of our success is is really attributed to um, our Winged Wheel Podcast patrons, the Dub Dub Club, so to speak. So to get any of those benefits, the Discord, the bonus episodes, the uh, opportunity to you know win fun prizes like the tickets to the Red Wings game, uh, do join uh, if you are are so inclined, and it, it means a lot to us. So thank you. Okay, uh, we are going to take some questions and comments. We don't have a ton of time here, but uh, we will make sure we get some. Uh, this one's a fun trivia one, actually. JM Rhapsody says, Trivia time, you scallywags. Let me take you back. February 14th, 2012. An inauspicious date, but a date which saw the Red Wings defeat the Dallas Stars 3-1. Why is this important? It was the 21st straight home victory for the Red Wings in NHL record. The question is, who was in the net for the Wings? I actually remember this one. Ah, uh, 2012. I actually did see the highlights pop up of this on something somewhere not that long ago. Might have been actually the Red Wings Instagram itself, I believe. Who is in net for that one? Because it wasn't Jimmy. Nope. Um... Joey McDonald? It was Joey McDonald. Saved Joey McDonald. 20 of 21. It's funny because we were thinking back to old backups the other day, and Joey McDonald's name is one that, that came up. Oh, man, that was a different time. Hockey Town Racing Academy says, would you rather get smoked in the first round of the playoffs or land Adam Fantilli? We all know Detroit will never get the number one pick. Well, that's easy. That's Fantilli. That's Fantilli 100 of 100 times. The only reason we're not talking about that like dichotomy now is because the Red Wings don't have the other side of that available to them. I don't think that there will be in a serious probable mix to land a top two spot. Like if they miss the playoffs because of the way everything's shaking down, it's still in the realm of possibility that they finish like 12th or 13th. 
um, just because there are so many teams in that cluster um, that they could be two points out of a playoff spot and still pick like 12. But even if they are in that 12 slot, it's like a 2% chance. So yeah, we're, it's not a high enough percentage that anybody should be taking that possibility seriously. Uh, most of all, Steve Eiserman. Robert Wood, new patron. Robert, welcome to the Dub Dub Club and thank you for your support. Says Robert yo- Woods, come back to Buffalo. <laughs> uh, yo, yo, I just joined a few days ago. Been listening religiously since the start of this season and look forward to every minute of each episode. Thank you, Robert. That means a lot to us. Uh, his question is, you hit your head and went into a coma. Don't threaten me with a good time. Uh, you wake up one day and the entire Red Wings roster has been swapped for the roster of another team. Maybe the Sens or Buffalo, someone close to where the Wings are now. Who would you root for? The players in the Wings jersey or the ex-Wings players in new jerseys? The players in the Wings jersey. That's right. The winged wheel is what matters at the end of the day. It would be hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You never so get many, a wholesale change like that. but So many players you love. But again, you look around the NHL. I can name off 50 players that don't play for the Red Wings that I'm a huge fan of, that I would root for, that I love. Like, it's hockey. You can appreciate the player, but the team is is always it. Um. This one from Welcome to Houston says, uh, my first and only Red Wings game at LCA to this point was the February 1st in 2020 game, a one nothing shutout loss against the Rangers, Hank's last career shutout in the last game before COVID. It just warms my heart to see how far the team has come since then. That 4-1 win the other night was so satisfying. Am I crazy to think, think the Wings could mess around and win a playoff round this year? Eager to get back there, and I feel the best barn in the league rocking. It's not crazy hockey's a very random sport but it's highly unlikely because <laughs> they're they're two likely destinations if they make the playoffs are boston and carolina i don't love carolina's goaltending so that could be something that could be exploited there boston i mean top to bottom they're the best team in the league i just don't see how the red wings pull out four games against that short of um, Marshan, Bergeron, and Allmark all catching COVID the day of game one. It would have to be like, yeah, injuries, illness, goalies just completely collapsing at the same time as the Red Wings goalie getting hot. And I'm naming these things and you're like, oh man, that is a lot to amount to. That would never happen. It's not likely. It has happened though. That's how these kinds of things do happen. Yeah. Like Olmark just decides to turn around and shoot it in his own net for a change. Like Weird, really weird, unlikely things would have to happen. Or Vili Huso just channels his inner Andre Vasilevsky for a 10-day span. I think none of this happens, though. Like, it, it needs to be on the back of a goalie. If you are a a lower-seeded team, a true lower-seeded team, not like Colorado's about to make some top-seeded team playoffs a nightmare, uh, if you're a true lower-seeded team, you need to excel based on the back of a goalie. That's how playoff success happens, like this in the NHL. Um, this one from Lars Thorzell says, hello boys. Is there any player on the wings that would benefit more from line mates with better hockey smarts than Jonathan Berggren? Uh, when I watch him play, I see loads of times he makes a play, but his fellow players are not aware of him seeing a seam to them and they whiff on the puck and are, or are surprised to get it. His cross pass back to Lindstrom the other night is one example that springs to mind. What's your call? Is Berggren the highest hockey IQ player on the team? Who would be the top three? Berggren's definitely up there. Um, Raymond with him. Raymond's with Larkin's with him. Yeah. Um, It's tough to say because, you know, off the puck hockey IQ matters too. And I don't think that's Berggren's 
Baker's biggest strength. I don't think it's a weakness, but yeah, it's probably the first three that jump to mind are Bergeron, Raymond, and Larkin. I think you could make a really good case for Perron. I think you could make a really good case for Sider and Wallman. Um, Hell, I know the talent's not to the level of guys. I think you could make a really good case for Olimata. Again, he on defense is a different game than what people yeah are looking at. But that's a good point. And if if you look at Olimata at just his skill. He is not an above no. average NHLer, but he can be a good player because he is so smart out there. Yeah. He is bottom third of the team in terms of skill, but in hockey smarts, quite the inverse. Yeah. So again, I think my answer is Bergeron, Larkin, Raymond, but I think there's three or four other players that I'm listed you can make a really good case for. And with Bergeron, I, I, again, I to call back to what I said earlier in the episode, I do think he's suffering a little bit with the physicality. He's been beat up on quite a bit, like... Not all just like hard hits, some like elbows up high, like welcome to the league kid kind of stuff. Especially someone who wants the puck on his stick and does well like he generally does. Other teams are going to target that. I think that's worn on him. Uh, Again, I I don't know if this is true, but I wonder if he is battling something small, nagging. And we saw it happen with Soderblom. You see it happen with most rookies in the NHL. Like just your legs fall out from beneath you after a certain amount of time. Like the NHL is hard hitting. It's demanding. It's fast. It's a dense schedule. This is more intense hockey than Bergeron has played in his entire life. So I've we've been seeing a little bit more of uncharacteristic mistakes from him off the puck play, like you mentioned, Brad. It's the kind of stuff where you're like, okay, the Red Wings are needling him and, you know, uh, X player or Y veteran is doing these things. Well, you needle your rookies because you know they can be better than that. So they, when they are veterans and when they are 25, 26 years old, that shit is out of their game. Um, it's harsh, but that's, you know, baptism by fire there and you, they learn that way. Um, he would definitely benefit from better line mates. It will come. The Red Wings know that. Uh, there's just a lot more responsibility that comes with that kind of deployment that's not always in, uh, inherently visible. Um, all right, let's take, I think, one more here. Liz B says, oh, how I've missed games that have playoff implications this late in the season. Whenever they do make the playoffs, the LCA is going to be how the kids say fire. The LCA has been rocking lately, man. Like it, they, even against Tampa, where they could not beat the goalie, the LCA had a phenomenal atmosphere. Uh, can you really trade Bertuzzi at this point? And since he's been out for a decent chunk of the season, do you think there's a chance he signs a one-year deal with Detroit in the hopes that next season goes better for him that he can then cash in on? It's possible. I think both things that you suggested are possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I'm Bertuzzi at his age and his circumstance, a one and his injury history, a one-year deal is risky. Yeah, that's the that's a risky bet on yourself. Yeah, especially at his age too. It's not like he's 23, right? Yeah. So if if next season goes poorly for him, he may never get another big contract. Unlikely, but it's it's very risky in his particular circumstance. So he he's also on a big enough heater now that if it's not the Red Wings, I think someone probably gives him at least a decent contract at this point. Um, just look at the demand around him at the trade deadline before the Red Wings pulled him off the market. So I'll say unlikely, but not crazy. All right. Uh, that's all we have time for today. We have to see what happened with this um, Timo Meyer trade it's probably gonna you know what the details are gonna come out the moment we hit publish on this it's a four piece trade and we are getting one piece every four hours 
for now, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode. We are going to be back with you on Wednesday with our uh, trade deadline primer for not just the Red Wings, but the rest of the NHL. We'd like to thank all of you for listening. Uh, all of you who are coming to Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, thank you so much. DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. Keep your eyes out there in case we can squeeze more tickets in. Uh, and Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast for all of you who are uh, so inclined to support the show. Thank you. If you want to support the show in other ways, honestly, just tuning in means the world to us. Leave a rating wherever you listen. Make sure you hit subscribe, leave that rating. Uh, it really does help the show out. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Um, subscribe wherever you're listening or watching. And yeah, just uh, thanks for being here with us. We'd like to thank all of our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Bertuzzi's Missing Tooth, Nick Perks, Icon, Terry Driver for the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donohue, Johnny Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Ariel Rojo, uh, Babe Landeskog, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, uh, Ariel, in case I haven't said it, thank you so much for becoming a name level uh, sponsor. Uh, Chris P, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, Detroit Rob, who is a new name level sponsor, I believe, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight, Probert, Red Hot Ronick, Samuel Kassem, Jake Gollum, Jacob Turner, Jake Wallman, Looks Like an Athletic, Ryan Hanna, thank you, uh, Joel Miranda, Joseph Barry, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, uh, Massive Wong, Evan Longsaber, Matt McKay, Michael Edlin, Njelkovic, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, That's What I Appreciates About You, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, again, thank you for becoming a name level sponsor, Antonio Gracias, Ben Barron, noted, noted Philip Zadina Whisperer and proud member of the Jake Wallman Gritty Club. Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, CJ Wilkinson, thank you for becoming a name level sponsor, CJ. Connor Leighton, Corey Prada, Corey Preda, sorry, and thank you, Corey, for joining the Dub Dub Club. Darren Fick, D. Cider, that's as much as I'll abbre- abbreviate. Philip Zadiz Nuts, George's biggest fan, Grand Rapids hockey guy, Griffey Boy, Heronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelchin, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Lieutenant Matt S. of the Cheesebag Army, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, O'Ophelia, Reed, Stephen, Tatar Sauce, The Hodag, The Original Bertuzzi's Lost Tooth, and finally my favorite patron, Matt Keeler. Thank you all so much. Let's see where this trade deadline next couple days i should say takes us thanks for tuning in to the winged wheel podcast be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you'll also find links to other ways to support the show such as patreon official podcast apparel and more and don't forget to follow the show on twitter at winged wheel pod and of course the hosts at brad crisco at ryan hannah wwp and at hockey town evan